This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the None and Ever podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week is... Nobody. Oh, hello. Nope, it's just me. Um, Listeners, we've got a bit of a shortened podcast this week and we are going to try something just a little bit different. Um, Work commitments have hampered our efforts this week to get the team together, enabling us to record um, a full podcast. Um, So we don't have a comprehensive look at the Chelsea game this week. But what we did ask to do is is the team to um, look at certain areas of what's been happening at the moment and record some pieces and some thoughts which um, producer Matt is very kindly going to knit together for us. Um, and try and put something out there. So I'm not sure as we speak how long this podcast is going to take, but we're going to hear from myself. I'm going to have a quick look at the Chelsea game. And then we've got uh, Tom and we have George as well, who are both going to give their thoughts on um, the... What have we got our thoughts on? We've got the transfer news. We've got the pressure that seems to be coming on um, Sean Dyche, certainly from the outside media looking in. And also... um, Tom's going to have a quick look at the drink water situation as well. So um, we have got some things to talk about and uh, let's see how this one plays out. So let's start with what on earth has been going on this week. Now, since we last spoke to you um, precisely a week ago when we came back for our first podcast of the new year, we were in the middle of a bit of a Christmas slump and we were hoping that New Year, New Me philosophy um, was going to see the Clarets go to Chelsea and somehow pick up some points and that was, as we now know, not to be. The Clarets succumbing to um, a 3-0 defeat. As we have seen all too recently as well, not the greatest of performances and I think Deitch has said himself that this is a team that for some reason is is really lacking in confidence. We seem to be playing with uh, some shackles on our um Jason Shackles some shackles on our on our legs and we just don't seem to have the freedom and the belief in ourselves and we have done recently now I think Dash himself is one of the first to acknowledge that that 
tends to compound itself, doesn't it? You get into a run of defeats and then that starts making you play worse and make bad decisions. Um, but look, at the end of the day, this was a free hit. We didn't really expect to go away to Chelsea and get ourselves three points. Um, a couple of things to note. Um, again, some sloppy errors for the Chelsea goals. Um, we've really got to start looking at... Uh, just basically cancelling them out of our game um it's really unlike us we've always been known for being very rigid defenders and and everybody knowing their job and everybody fighting for each other and it's just been just horrendous recently and um, poor Matt Lawton back in at right back because Barsley had been ill this week and, and didn't quite make it um didn't really lay much of a claim I don't think to um to, to, to get back in that first team and I do really feel for the guy at the moment I think he's he epitomises a lot of the lack of self-confidence that I think some of these players have got um 3-0 of course it could have been 3-1 um we did manage to put the ball in the back of the net Jeff Hendrick uh, scored himself a goal but uh, our friend VAR massively overruled that and uh, <laughs> called the goal offside. Um, it was one of those decisions. And, and to be honest, I've seen the stills and I've seen the replays of it. I'm not entirely sure that the VAR software has got that one right, but it's another one of those incredibly frustrating scenarios where Jeff Hendrick breathed a little bit deeper than his counterpart and, and his chest hairs were a bit further forward than his defenders. Um, VAR and offside decisions, of course, continue to dominate the headlines i think it's fair to say that the offside rule is is not popular amongst pundits or commentators or fans um yes it's bringing a consistency and yes it's bringing um fairness in that everybody's subject to the same bar the problem that we're facing is that i don't think that the software is yet advanced enough to be able to make a legitimate call at that extreme. Um, and secondly, I just don't think that's what the spirit of the game intended. So, um, guys, you all know our thoughts on that. Goodness me, we've, we've talked about VAR and the offside decision for quite some time now um, and we're not going to change it overnight. We know that the Premier League are going to be looking at, at perhaps relaxing those rules next season but unfortunately there's nothing to do with it and, and poor Jeff Hendrick um, has his goal chalked off. Um, does it change the game? I don't know. Um, Deitch always says, doesn't it, that if we take these fine margins and goals go in, it can change the feel of a game. Um, I do feel that Chelsea were too strong for us on the day and I think inevitably they pounced on um, the... not a, a side lacking confidence. I know I keep saying this, but I don't want to say they're playing poorly. Um, but it, that, that's that's the situation we're in at the moment. We certainly haven't got that fire in our, in our belly and, and Deitch himself admits that we're in a really, really tough period. Um... There's two main things then, and I think the first thing that I wanted just to um, talk about is whether or not these recent run of results puts um, Sean Dyche in a rather unenviable position of having his job questioned. There's been an awful lot of talk in the media this week that um, Dyche is a manager under pressure, and I think 
any other team that maybe hadn't had the successes that we've had and the stability that we've had I think these voices external voices definitely I don't think these these calls are coming from within the club and whilst some fans a small section of fans have lost a little bit of patience and think that it's time for a change I think certainly us and and the majority of fans are still behind Deitch so I think if it wasn't Burnley and it wasn't Sean Deitch these external voices would be much much louder um but there's 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 definitely been a shift in the media this week to say that both Sean Dyche and Eddie Howard Bournemouth are both managers under pressure. Um, I suspect they've probably been um, lumped together because they are um, two managers who are the two longest serving Premier League managers. Obviously, Dyche took over from Bourne- from uh, Eddie Howard, who went to Bournemouth when he was at Burnley. We all know the story. Um, and I, I guess the debate in the media is whether the opinions we had a couple of years ago about how the long the longevity of these managers and the stability they've brought to the clubs has equaled their success whether that has now turned into a staleness at both clubs and both of them maybe at the end of a cycle that needs refreshing um we asked panelist george Poole to talk about the um pressures that Sean Dyche and Eddie Howe were under and basically analyse whether they thought that whether he thinks that, that is fair. To be honest with you, I'm absolutely baffled by the pressure that both Eddie Howe and Sean Dyche were under. I think it's ridiculous that fans of either club could want the manager out. Especially with Dyche especially with Dyche at the moment, the, that the pressure from outside of the club should be more on Howe because Bournemouth have been plummeting since the end of October, whereas Burnley, let's be honest, we've had a bad run since Christmas. On Christmas Day, we were 10th, and we looked like a couple of wins off, you know, like properly challenging for 7th. It, it seemed like a really good start to the season. We'd beaten three teams 3-0. That's what people just seem to forget now. They're like, oh, we've always played crap football. We Even in the start of the season, we were playing awful. We couldn't score goals. You don't beat three different teams, three, three or four nil, and be a bad team going forward. It's to be honest with you, I think it, that's ridiculous. Like, it, even in the championship, we played really good football sometimes. We played teams off the park. But the difference being now that we've come up to the Premier League, this squad's reached the end of its cycle, but the board won't invest. I, I, the pressure on Dash, for me, is absolutely ridiculous, and it just shows such a lack of loyalty from fans. And, it really, it, it really annoys me to be fair. I think it's disgusting. To actually turn on the manager that's provided Burnley with all the success he has done. He's the most successful manager in our modern history. Like, I think it's post-1970s. That's what you call modern history. I think I think so anyway. But um, our best manager in God knows how long. Is, when, when he arrived, we were fourth or fifth favourites to go down from the championship. And it wasn't just that. It's the fact that our entire club just wasn't set up to be even challenging for promotion. That's why when we did go up extraordinarily first time under Dash, we weren't prepared at all. We quickly had to get all the stadium done. Just stuff, just even little things like that, where we just had to get the whole club up to scratch to even be in the Prem. That's why, unfortunately, we went down that season. But then we came down, and guess what? The start of the season, by Boxing Day, after that 3-0 defeat at Hull, we... Um, I think we were about fifth or sixth, and we looked a mile off the pace, to be fair. We didn't look like we were going to come back straight up. But guess what? We stuck with Dice, even though there was 
There was a lot of pressure on him from the fans at that point, but we stuck with him and we went up as champions. He's shown time and time again that he can turn the club around when it's in a, a bit of a mire. I'll just bring up a tweet that I sent on Boxing Day after the Everton game, that awful defeat where there was incredible pressure again for Dice to be sacked. And I, I just tweeted, we felt like this coming off Boxing Day three years ago, Hull away, 3-0. Looked like all hope had gone. Then 23 unbeaten, staying up in Prem and going on a European tour. We can turn it round again, stick with the manager, stick with the players. That's the job as fans. And I feel the exact same way now. After Boxing Day against Hull, Hope had been lost. We stuck with Dice. He turned it around. After Boxing Day against Everton, we stuck with Dice. He turned it around. We've done incredible things under this manager. And the, the loyalty that not only we're showing him, he's shown us loyalty. He's never left. He's never looked. He's never, from our perspective, he's never looked like he's wanted another job. He's got, and he should have, a job for as long as he wants here. And I, I think our job as fans is to support the manager and actually get behind the team because that's the only way that they're actually going to improve. But yeah, he's definitely earned the time to turn things around. Absolutely. Not only that, I, I, I think even if even if you want Dash out, say you want him out, the practicality of this is this Burnley board is not going to sack Sean Dash. It would be absolutely ridiculous from them to do so after all he's done for them. They know he probably won't be poached by a big team. He's taken his club a long way. They've shown loyalty. They're not going to sack him. They've just offered him a new deal. Was it a few months ago? Was it late last season? But they offered him like a, they've got him a four-year deal. He's not a long-term contract. Why on earth would they get rid of him, right? And I think they're too sensible to get rid of him because they realise he could turn things around. He's got his hands tied behind his back in some ways with the with the transfers, and he understands that he's a perfect manager for that situation. So, so the practicality of it is, the board are not going to sack Dash. So, those calling for him to be sacked are just wasting their breath, and rather than getting behind the team, they're just being critical of it, and it's not going to do anyone any help. So, just get behind the team when we're in this rut at the moment and support them. For me, Dash is he's working miracles still. It's ridiculous. The, right, even the, the, the greatest managers of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson, right? I, I get I get some people, I think uh, Robbie, obviously, from the No Name of a Podcast from us here as well, he, he wants Dash to go. And I get the idea that needs a fresh a fresh voice around the change room. Sir Alex Ferguson was at Man United, what was it, 26 years? And it wasn't a fresh voice, but it was fresh faces around the dressing room. He'd bring in a new assistant coach every every couple of years, just change things up a bit. He had about five different squads at Man United over his time there. It, more than five, actually. He had way more than five different squads. And Dash has done the same at Burnley. If you look at the squad when he first joined to now, it's not felt like he's had a total revamp. But it's just gradually evolved over time. And now we've only got, say, a couple of players still here who were here four years ago. And... Unfortunately, it's worked up until now, but it seems at this moment that in the last few transfer windows, the board just either don't want to invest anymore or they, they have genuinely been priced out of the market, which I think is a credible argument. So it means the squad's not being revamped as much, which is why we're in the situation we are now with an ageing squad 
that's definitely coming to the end of its cycle. We can tell that by performances on the pitch. I'm not going to sit here and say we've been amazing. And the issue is, we've got this ageing squad and it now needs to be replaced, but Dyche isn't being given the funds to do that. So I, I just think he's doing a job with his hands tied behind his back. People need to look at the situation rather than just being emotional after seeing a crap performance and being like, Dyche out. I just think it's ridiculous. I think he's earned so much more loyalty from us. Even if we go down, I don't care. I want Dash to stay at the club. He's an absolute legend. And I'll be absolutely devastated the day that he finally does go. Uh, just the last point, Eddie Howe. Yeah, I think Bournemouth are going to go down. Uh, but he's taken them here from League 2. It would be absolutely ridiculous of them to sack him. It's just, it, it would disgust me. Bournemouth and Burnley, the two good things they've got going about them is that they're a proper football club. They're loyal to the managers. They've not got this... Cr- absolute rubbish in modern day football where you sack a manager after six games like teams like Watford do it's ridiculous and that's the one of the good things they've got going for them and we need not to lose that so if either team goes down they should keep the manager in my view yeah, some interesting stuff there from George. And I think we all knew that, that George was going to sit very firmly in camp. Deitch is not under any pressure. Um, but, you know, let us know what you think. I know we've seen various opinions on social media and people debating whether they think it's time for a change. Um, I'm not really sure where I personally sit with this. I'm certainly not calling for Deitch's head. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the right thing to do to push him out now um certainly not in this current run of games anyway because goodness me even with the team performing its absolute best there's a good chance out of these nine games that we've got at the moment that um we would lose most of these games because that's the nature of the premier league so certainly don't think now's the time to be doing it i think if we start going into our run of games against the other teams in and around our position and it does start becoming apparent that he's perhaps lost the dressing room um, or his tactics are just done, then I think we may have to start considering whether it's time for some freshness in the club. Um, Now, the obvious problem with this is that, um, and quite rightly, most people are not necessarily pointing the finger at Sean Dyche for the problems that we have got within the club. They are pointing the finger squarely at the board um, because we have had um, just transfer problems, transfer window problems for quite some time now and we haven't been um, investing in the squad, we haven't been investing in the first team, we haven't been bringing players in who immediately improve the starting lineup. We've been buying squad players who give us a little bit of competition for pay, for places. Um, and we've also been offering long-standing players a improved contracts. That's where the vast majority of our money has gone over the past 18 months or so. Um, the net result of that has been we are still operating on a very small squad and our squad is ageing. Um, I think Chris Borden at the Burnley Express interviewed Wade Elliott this week who did say, he did make this very point and said that he felt that the recruitment policy at Burnley needed to focus on bringing down the average age of the squad um, especially if we do lose McNeil in the summer um, that's going to obviously <laughs> very much damage us um, but of course we knew that well certainly coming into the start of this this uh, transfer window we were almost shut down um 
straight away. It was almost felt like it was the first day of the transfer window, and um, Burnley came out and said that the incoming um, incoming signings were probably unlikely. Um, since then, there has been some transfer rumours and some suggestions that we are in advanced talks with players. Um, the first one was Conor Gallagher, who is um, a Chelsea young lad who's been um, playing on loan at Charlton. He's a defensive midfielder. He scored six goals and three assists for Charlton already this season. Um, and uh, Chelsea recalled him. And I think a lot of the Chelsea loanees were recalled in the January transfer window with a view to either sending them back on loan or maybe selling them. Um, so so Burnley were apparently in for in for him, um, and we were also linked. Well, we are linked at the moment with uh, Championship side Bristol's um, Josh Brownhill, and I can't pronounce this that well, so apologies. And Nicholas Eliasson. I hope that's correct. Um, so again, um, reverting back to George, we asked George to have a quick look at two potential incomings and see what his view was on some potential new blood. Yeah, so with the transfer front, so we've seen today, uh, today being Wednesday, the uh, the 15th, Wednesday the 15th, yeah, we've seen that um, it's been confirmed that Conor Gallagher, who we'd been linked to, centre midfielder at Chelsea, he's only 19, gone out on loan to Swansea. The rumour was that they were going to recall him from Charlton and send him, send him on loan to another team, uh, obviously a bit of higher standard. Now, the rumours came out that he was Burnley were interested but then it was quickly shut down, basically, because I think Alan Nixon reported that Chelsea wanted to get game time somewhere. And that's fair enough, so they've sent him to a top-end championship team instead of sending him to a Premier League team. And although he looked like a decent prospect, can't say I've seen much of him, but he, you know, from clips at Charlton and by all reports, he's been doing amazing stuff there. He could have done a really good job for us, but the issue is with that, fair play to Chelsea, they want their kids to get some game time. And the reality is, reality of it is, he's not going to get game time if he came to Burnley. He's 19 or 20. He's not going to be thrown in, starting centre midfield for Burnley in the Premier League. Especially with Dash's historic track record of not really giving Lawnies much of a go. It's just not going to happen. So that rumour was quickly pushed. Quashed. Uh, oh, squashed? I don't know. But that rumour was quickly squashed. Uh, and the one thing that we've still got going on, on what is a quiet front on the transfer window is the Josh Brownhill link, and now he seems a real decent purchase for us. Banding around figures of about 8 million, 24 years old, centre mid, and it's what we need. We need centre mids. We need at least two. I'm sorry, but we do. We've got, we had no, we had five defenders on the bench at the weekend against, uh, who were we playing? Oh, against Chelsea. We had five defenders on the bench. I mean, the state of it. And, and that's five defenders and a goalkeeper. It's absolutely ridiculous. So we definitely do need midfielders in. Hopefully Brownhill seems a bit of like a creative centre-in. He can get his foot on it, box to box. And actually we play through midfield. If we had someone like him in there alongside Westwood, we wouldn't have to play the unattractive football of going long ball all the time. That's that's what we're doing. We're just kicking it over the top for Wood to run onto because we have to bypass the midfield because they're simply not good enough to get the foot on it, turn around and spray the ball out. That That's the issue with it. It's not that we want to play awful football. It's just that we don't have the midfield to do to play better football. So we need a couple of um, a, a midfielder in there, a bit like a Stephen DeFore. I know it's cliche at this point, but we do imagine a midfield with Stephen DeFore in it. We'd start playing a bit more like the start of the European season and when we finish seventh. But we just need a midfielder in there who can do that. 
that's that's the issue. Where I, that's the main issue I see with how we're playing is we don't have a midfield to go through and we're having to go over the top. So if we had a, a centre mid who can put the foot on it in there, then and if Brownhill was going to be that guy, then that's perfect. I think I saw something in one of the Bristol newspapers that Burnley were interested in the summer, uh, but realised that his contract might be run down. They'll be able to get it cheaper later. That sounds like typical Burnley. So I, the rumours seem pretty accurate. And if we can get him for eight or so million, it's worth a punt, even if it doesn't come off. It's not that much money, let's be honest, in the modern game. So I'd definitely be interested in that. But other than that rumour, there's not much going on, is there, to be honest? And I think the fans are definitely starting to get absolutely, and rightfully so, annoyed with it. I'm getting annoyed with it as well, because Dyche is doing a job with one hand tied behind his back. It's ridiculous. We need a right back. Get, Matt Lawton's been off the boil for one and a half seasons now. Wardley's not getting any, any younger. He's not too good going forward, albeit I think he's a bit solid defensively. So we need a new right-back. We need at least two centre-mids. And we're now halfway through January, and there's been one proper transfer link to Brownhill. And even then, it's been around for five or so days now, and we've still seemingly not done anything about it. It's just annoying, isn't it? Really annoying, and hopefully... Maybe if we can get Brownhill in, but we definitely need more. And I fear that by the end of this transfer window, if we've even if we've only bought in one player, the fans are really going to start to turn. And the only way, fair enough, the only way they can voice that is by going on a match day and booing when we play badly. I don't agree with it, but it's going to end up like that if we don't make some signings. That's a message to Mike Garlic. I feel exciting to be talking about potential transfers. I know obviously we now know since we've recorded this that the Gallagher deal's not happening. But we are actually out there, it seems, and we are looking at players, which is um, getting us all a little bit more excited than we were on the 1st of January. Um, and it, it's it's really needed. If we go back to that Chelsea game, Deitch had to name five defenders on the bench and uh, a young lad who doesn't have a squad number, um, which is really, really difficult. And, and it, it does send a message out there that we, we shouldn't be still in this position after so many years as a Premier League club where we are scrapping around and having to play the injury lottery with players. Um, we've talked a lot to a lot of you this week who have suggested that it's time that we got rid of some surplus players um certainly the likes of joe hart um you know pe- people like that um matt lawton i think people talking about robbie braid has been talked about um a lot of this is subjective and i think links back to personal views on players performances rather than um effectiveness of the entire squad so we do have to be a little bit careful um but there is a feeling that we have got some players who could be sold to free up some wage bills to bring other players in who would perhaps have a greater impact on the first team and, and get us out of the, the current difficult bit we're in at the moment. Uh, there's also been a very bit of a strange reaction to the often um, elusive Matty Vidra. Um, a strange thing happened at the Peterborough game where he was brought on to ironic and somewhat sarcastic jeers by the Burnley fans who were singing who the flipping heck are you and um also there's only one Matty Vidra which led to in my opinion a bit of a PR slip up from Dyche who came out in his post-match interview and said he was baffled by the reaction and said that um oh you, you know you think he'd have scored 20 goals last season the reaction he got from the crowd you kind of looking at it and think yeah mate that's that's the point you know if you'd have played him maybe he would have got 20 goals um but there are fans who are 
very much on board with this and want to see a player like Vidra brought in because, quite frankly, it can't get any worse than it is at the moment and we are struggling for creativity and goals. But then there are other fans who are genuinely questioning where this loving for Vidra has come from because they perhaps haven't seen a performance from him yet that warrants him being forced into the first team um and I, I suspect what's probably happened is is that Vidra is being used as a catalyst to let the board and Deitch know that there is some fan dissatisfaction with the current transfer policy um we simply have to bring fresh blood in and I think Chris Borden at the um tele, uh, Berlin Express sorry did do an interview I think with Wade Elliott who summed it up very succinctly for me when he said that our recruitment policy simply had to look at the bringing the average age of the squad down um despite Daisha's sort of put down of Burnley fans view I heard it again away at Chelsea when he was brought on and actually again I'd kind of feel for, for Matty Vidra because he was brought on with 17 minutes to go at 3-0 down and you think what's he going to do how is he going to possibly change a game that we've already given up on and we're already dead and buried you know you're asking a player to try and pull in a performance that enables him to fight for his first place in the squad in the starting lineup yet you don't give him a realistic and adequate opportunity to do that um so yeah you know on the whole with the transfer policy i understand the restrictions we're operating under i understand the challenges that we're facing but i do think as a club we're not helping ourselves and daesh isn't helping himself in certain situations so let's hope that we can get more excited as the month goes on um and maybe we will see some fresh faces, even if they are championship ones. Let's see. Um, the transfer window, of course, became a little bit more um, important, I guess, with the news that Chelsea were indeed recalling Danny Drinkwater, or we sent him back, who knows which way it is. Um, and I think the justification at the time was that we weren't able to find him the number of games he needed to get him fit. Of course, as soon as he went back to Chelsea, he was snapped up by relegation rivals Villa. And of course, he went straight into their first team and played nearly a full game. Um, it's not that he didn't have the games to get him fit. He just couldn't get him Dutch fit. Um, Drinkwater's a very divisive character. Um, and, and who better than to dissect the pros and cons of this particular situation than our good friend and panellist Tom who's going to delve straight back into Drinkwater Corner. Hi this is Tom and I'm ushering you back over into Drinkwater Corner. Uh, you may remember uh, earlier in the season I was quite sceptical at the idea of keeping Drinkwater beyond January. Um, a few people did make the salient point and it's looking like a good point that if Drinkwater left, we'd be left very short in midfield and we don't look like we're in a massive rush to replace him as it stands. But, uh, you know, in the intervening time, how much have we missed him? Um, Cork and Westwood not playing very well. But uh, I don't think Drinkwater did any more when he played against Man City. That was his, uh, his only other appearance after the, the poor game he had against Sunderland. So it didn't surprise me to see that he was on his way. Um, it didn't surprise me to see that he was keen to be on his way as well. I think probably the moment against Villa where he was stripped off, ready to come on, and then he was sat back down. I don't think any player likes to go through that. So it wasn't a surprise to me that, that the agreement came to an end in January. 
the reaction from our supporters has, has been quite interesting. Um, when he immediately ended up at Villa, there seemed to be quite a lot of anger and frustration um, amongst our fans. I think the prevailing consensus seemed to be, well, if Villa wants him, then he can't be that bad. And if Villa wants him and are putting him straight into the team, like they're against Man City on Sunday, then he can't be that unfit. And is it the case that we've basically been paying his wages for the last few months just to get him fit, only for someone else to uh, to get the best out of him? So a lot of the, the social media reaction that I saw prior to the the Man City game on Sunday for Aston Villa was quite negative. But uh, that obviously changed quite quickly into the game. For those of you who didn't see it, um, looked massively off the pace drink water, nowhere near fitness, which is perhaps another reason why he wasn't playing for us. Um, gave away a goal. I think that's his third assist of the season, which sounds quite good in three games until you realise that only one of them has been for the team he was playing for. I think he set Rodriguez's goal up against Sunderland, but then set Will Grigg up for Sunderland's equaliser. And uh, he laid off a beautiful pass for his old teammate, Riyad Mahrez, to open the scoring as well. Or was it his second? Might have been his second on Sunday. Um, he got a lot of stick in the, in the press afterwards. Dreamwater had a lot of people writing him off. Uh, I think it looks like, at the very least, he's going to need a good few games before he's up to speed. I think it was a strange move for Villa. I don't think he's really what they need. Um, the players they've lost... Um, Obviously, Heaton, a goalie, Wesley, a centre-forward, and McGinn's a midfielder, but he's um, much more dynamic, much more of an attacking midfielder than Drinkwater is. I think they're quite well covered in, at the base of midfield. Nakamba, Lansbury, so it seems a bit odd to me that they've decided to, to put another 50 grand a week on their wage bill with a player who I don't think offers them a great deal different to what they already had. It perhaps would have been more of a fit for to, to stay with us in that regard. But I think either way, as you can see, the lack of game time over the last few years is has really caught up with them. And I don't think uh, even a Daesh fitness programme or, or playing for our under-23s has got him anywhere near the required standard yet. Um, will he get there? Maybe so. But how many more games like that are Villa going to have to put up with in the interim? Um, and uh, I suppose the, the real salient question when you look at it from our perspective is, had we been playing drink water throughout August, September, October, when we were playing better than we are now and picking up points, would it have been worth sacrificing for them points in order to get drink water up to fitness and get him in the team? Probably not for me, especially with the uh, the nightclub incident wedged into the middle of that. Having said all that, <clears throat> I think it is quite soon to write drink water off. We know he's got a good pedigree. We know there's a player in there. So I'm not quite at the stage where I'm rubbing my hands together with glee and... and uh, Mocking Drinkwater's downfall, mocking his last uh, his last performance. I I think if uh, if Villa do give him that those few games, if perhaps if they do get a little bit lighter in midfield, it might turn out to be a decent signing for them. But um, I can't say I'm too sorry to have seen him go, and um, I can't pretend that I didn't enjoy just a little bit that performance on Sunday. Ah, Drinkwater corner. Um... What a shame that's not going to be a longer term thing, but uh, but never mind. Obviously, some some interesting thoughts there with Tom. I think if you recall, like you said from earlier podcasts, he was um, quite keen on sending him back in January. I think Tom 
Tom Claret, as he is known as um, on Twitter, very much lost patience with drink water very early on after the nightclub incident. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, as I said at the outset, a slightly different format this week, and apologies it hasn't been the interactive discussion that we would normally put out but um unfortunately this is um a volunteer role um we do the whole of non ever team work in their free time for free essentially to bring you the podcast we're all just fans producing something in our spare time and and unfortunately that does mean that real life has to to put a bit of a dampener on it uh damn those jobs um but it hopefully doesn't happen very often um and the team should all be back next week ready to dissect our performance away at leicester and have interaction but hopefully this has been enough to keep you going this week it's been a a series of monologues as opposed to a uh, an interactive chat but um, at least you've, you've had the thoughts of none and ever um Dave and I will be back on Friday for the preview show when we're going to be looking at Leicester City at home, which I believe is on Sunday this week. Yes, Sunday, of course. Um, and we will, as I said before, the the, the main podcast will be back next Tuesday as normal. Um, my thanks as ever go to producer Matt for, especially this week, having to literally receive about 45 different audio files from lots of different laptops and lots of different locations and try and knit it all together. Thanks, Matt. Um, my thanks to George and to Tom, who both gave up their time um, and their um, laptops to try and send us some incoherent, sorry, some very coherent ramblings from my incoherent questions. Um, so thanks for that, both of you. Um, thanks to Band Joyce for supplying the music to this podcast. But my thanks as ever. Um, week after week I say this but my thanks go to you the listener for downloading this podcast and and checking in every week um, your support's very much appreciated and we would not be here without you I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Known and Never podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.